0: to Making the Brand, the podcast where marketing and pop culture collide. I'm your host, Brianne Fleming. I can't wait to chat about brands, boy bands, and everything in between, because brands who have a pulse on pop culture can create adoring fans of their own. I keep striking gold on Twitter because today we've got another interview, thanks to Twitter, with Dustin Stout, who my friend Jeanette tagged in one of my tweets. So if you're listening, thank you, Jeanette. And Dustin, thank you so much for joining me and being so open to chatting with a stranger you just met on Twitter.
1: Anybody who is a Backstreet Boys fan is definitely not a stranger to me and 100% someone I want to hang out with. So. <laughs>
0: I knew we'd get along great, and I think that's why Jeanette must have, must have tagged you, because she knew we'd get along perfectly, so <laughs> love it. Well, admittedly, I don't know too much about you, other than the few things I've gathered from your profile and the fact that you love the late 90s, early 2000s <laughs> wrestling era, which we'll get to, but can you just start off with, um, by telling me more about your background?
1: Yeah, so I started as a blogger. Uh, You know, back in 2009, I sat in a room with Michael Hyatt, and he was teaching everyone about how this world of social media and blogging can help you build a platform for yourself. At the time, I was a youth director, trying to figure out how to reach more teenagers. And this happened to be peak Facebook. So I learned how to use Facebook and Twitter to grow uh, my audience, who were teenagers at the time. And I also started blogging as as a means of sort of Teach and you know they say that uh, you you retain more of what you teach than what you hear so I decided to teach what I was learning and therefore you know help keep it in my head
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, so I started writing about social media and the things I was discovering long story short people started reading that little blog people started wanting to hire me to do their social media or to consult them on social media strategy I ended up uh, starting my own agency uh, freelancing Turned into full-time working from home for myself. Started being asked to speak at conferences, won some awards, blah, blah, blah. Started a few companies. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm a bit of a, a crazy story of like, this was just interesting to me and it came naturally and people hired me to do it and it's allowed me to do a lot of other fun things too.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, if I could think back of what I wish I knew in 2009 and if I had started blogging then and really saw the potential of personal branding, you know, over 10 years ago, I can only imagine how many doors could have, should have, and would have opened for me, but it's great to hear that it, it worked out for you. And I think there's
1: flip that perspective and say, now that I know the next 10 years is going to be full of those doors opening.
0: Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully that's the plan. I'm so glad it worked out for you and it brought us together. So I do want to backtrack a little bit and talk about the tweet that initially connected us. Um, I was tweeting about repetition and how our favorite songs, including I Want It That Way, probably, um, they repeat the chorus over and over and it never gets old for us. And I was saying that marketers need to give themselves permission to be repetitive because repeating yourself and having that consistency is what will get your customers to know you so well. So you chimed in and we're talking about how wrestlers do this and have been doing it for decades. So can you talk more about, before we get to the wrestling stuff, I want to talk more about consistency in your own life. First of all, with the fact that you always wear a red v neck like you are right now, and then we'll get into the wrestling fun stuff
1: yeah, so uh, you know branding to me you know I started as a graphic designer that was that was my profession before I became a consultant and so as a designer, you know I understood this idea of branding and and building a visual brand and uh, i I remember reading something from um, gosh it was it was some magazine I read and it was about uh, some of the most top performing CEOs that, uh, you know, have ever lived uh, from um, Steve jobs to Mark Zuckerberg um, and, and even some, you know, female see, Ce- usually this, this uh, mentality, is it like a male usually you associate males with wearing the same thing every day. But I, you know, I read about these strong female CEOs who are also taking on this mentality of, you know, they just wear the same thing every day because it's one less thing to think about. Um, but on top of that it sort of becomes part of their brand and for me I love the color red it's always been a part of my brand and I was working for a t-shirt design company I was a graphic designer for them and I love this particular brand of v-neck t-shirt so I was like man I'm just gonna buy like a dozen red v-necks I'm just gonna wear that every single day and that sort of became my brand and it's it's so funny Like it's not only the ability to be instantly recognized by your audience. I mean, you think about Homer Simpson or Mickey Mouse or, you know, any of your favorite characters growing up, they always wore the same thing. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, it's recognizability, but also I'll tell you this fun story. Uh, I was, uh, my wife and I were driving. We were, she was dropping me off at the grocery store to walk into the ATM because I need to pull some cash out. So she drops me off, she drives around the park, come outside. I'm walking straight towards her. You know, like, thinking she's gonna stop. I'm gonna get in. We're gonna go to the beach. I think we we're going to the beach that day. Uh-huh. I'm walking straight towards her. She looks at me, turns, and keeps going. And I'm like, "What the heck?" <laughs> I have to like chase her down. I'm like, "What do you? Did you not see me? I was looking right at you." She goes, "Oh no, you're not wearing the red shirt. I didn't recognize you." <laughs> So this branding effect also has like a reverse Superman effect. Whereas, like if you're not wearing, if you want to disappear, just don't wear the thing you always wear. <laughs> yeah,
2: Superman yeah. taking
1: off his glasses. Yeah, you disappear in a crowd. So yeah. I, I believe I believe heavily in wearing the same thing every day for branding, for less brain having to think of things, and also for the ability to disappear if you ever need to.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you can disappear from your own wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or whoever at the time, I mean, that's how you know the force is strong, if even Powerful. the people who love you most don't, don't yeah. recognize you anymore. That's too funny. Um, so we've seen consistent consistency in similar ways with some of our favorite wrestlers growing up, like The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, from their wardrobe to their catchphrases and everything. But... Let's go back in time a little bit. Can you paint a picture of what your early memories are of this era in wrestling?
1: Yeah, I, I started my, my journey in, in being a, a, rest, a pro wrestling fan in the era of Brett the Hitman Hart. Mm-hmm. That's where I started when he was like number one, he was the world champ, and my favorite wrestler of all time, Shawn Michaels, uh, the heartbreak kid, was sort of up and coming and, and making a way for himself. And you know like i just I, I i i something in me fell in love with this idea of like being a like being a a brand like a consi- the the word brand wasn't in my vocabulary but like this idea mm. of being a character that people recognize mm-hmm. and and like you always have the same theme music and entrance music and and you know the same kind of costume so to speak um so yeah. it started very early in 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 that aspect and uh, you know I I was around when Stone Cold first came in, and he was uh, a part of the Million Dollar Man's entourage uh, Mm -hmm. before he was Stone Cold Steve Austin. I was there when Rocky Maivia hit the scene um, before The Rock was even a brand. So I got to see a lot of the evolutions of these characters. Mm. And of course, you know, like Hulk Hogan and and Macho Man and The Ultimate Warrior, like uh, I saw clips and stuff of those but uh, you know they weren't quite my era but to see the evolution of some of these newer characters who were speaking to me was just it was gripping I I fell so in love with the this idea of creating a character and and becoming that character and and creating a fandom around that character a really awesome thing and uh, being a comic book nerd too I mean superheroes were obviously a you know, a big source of inspiration and uh, superheroes are, are the best branded products in the world, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, it started feeding into me early, this idea of brand and building a, you know, character.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and pardon the Backstreet reference, but their personas and their characters were, were larger than life. There was merchandise and video games and all these different yeah. ways where they, took their brands outside of the ring so do you have any gosh as a young fan like did you immerse yourself in all of that merch and you know go out oh yeah
1: I had the the t-shirts I had I had the action figures I had the toy wrestling rings and yeah the posters I had (laughs) all kinds of memorabilia and I I just you know I was I was in it. I loved it. And unfortunately, I've never gotten to see a live wrestling event. It's ah, on my bucket list. I haven't, yeah. haven't done that. I have managed to be to four or five Backstreet Boys concerts
0: though. But, uh, <laughs> that's what matters.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what really matters. And then got into high school, got into sports, and just didn't have time. I was I was in sports, but I was also in theatrical productions and and show choir. So I was like doing a lot of things that kind of lost touch with the wrestling Mm -hmm. world just because I didn't have time to keep up. And DVR wasn't really a thing back then. Mm. Um, So I kind of lost touch with it, but always, you know, sort of kept tabs on, um, you know, those superstars who who impacted my life. And, you know, of course, it's been easy with Dwayne Johnson becoming the the multifaceted superstar that he is, you know, Mm -hmm. crossing out of that, uh, that realm of wrestling into the world of acting and Uh, You know now hosting one of my favorite TV shows the Titan games. Oh Oh my my gosh, gosh. so much fun
0: (laughs) Yeah, he really built himself into a brand I remember uh, Bill Gates tapped him for the Xbox launch back in the day and he was just, just Getting involved in all these different brand partnerships and everything. So let's let's transition and talk about the rock and really just Gosh, there were so many aspects of him from a marketing standpoint that he got right. I mean Let's just talk about his name first, naming himself The Rock, you know, what are, aside from his name and what are some other elements that he really built upon to really make himself memorable?
1: I think, you know, having seen him come out as again, Rocky Maivia, um, which was a very common sort of didn't have, the only thing he really had to bank on was his history, his family history, Mm-hmm. Of of being in being professional re- wrestlers, and so like there was just not a whole lot of of things to sort of I guess ground him as a superstar. It was like, oh. he seemed like a, another great wrestler, um, and then I think it was you know during when when wrestling sort of t- to started to switch into this attitude phase or actually I forget they actually called it like the oh the the era of attitude or the attitude era. Yeah. When uh, you know, Degeneration X was a big thing, and uh, the Nation of Domination, and you know, it came it became about attitude, and then Stone Cold Steve Austin really came into his full swing. I think that's when The Rock, you know, he joined. Oh gosh, if I remember the timeline correctly, he joined the Nation of Domination, and all of a sudden he went from this, you know, sort of bright, plucky, you know, every everyday guy wrestler to now he's like this darker character. Mm. And it kind of worked for him. It brought that, you know, sort of lackluster element uh, or, you know, kind of polished him up and made him more interesting. It gave him more depth as a, as a character. Yeah. And so I think that's what started to shape this real, like, attitude-driven... He, he saw that he could really play that character to its strength. And he had that... Um, he just, just had that ability to give that attitude out. And so I think he really... Discovered that. He saturated himself in that. Uh, that sort of a, a niche, if you will, that niche type of character. Yeah. And uh, he, he just he found ways to really make it his own. He's, he's a wizard on the microphone, first of all. <laughs> and
2: yeah.
1: If you look back in his early years, you can see him trying different things. He, he's, he's tried a bunch of catchphrases, but it, but it wasn't until, you know, if you smell what the rock is cooking, that people uh-huh. just took hold of it. Yeah. Right. And this is, I think what's really important about anybody who's building a personal brand. Right. Cause you know, we could build products and brands all day long, but as a personal brand, you know, we, we have so many influences and I feel like as we grow, especially when we're younger in our career, we, we pick and we take things and elements from different people. And we say, Oh, like, that's what I want to be like, you know, 10 years ago, when I started blogging, everybody wanted to be Seth Godin. Right. And they're like, oh, if I could just be writing like Seth Godin, you know, <laughs> so that they'll take little aspects of him and apply it to them and try to use it may or may not work for them. Nowadays, everybody wants to be Gary Vee, right? They want to be this <laughs> furious, you know, no holds barred, say what you want, yeah. kind of offensive, doesn't Tough
2: care. <laughs> right.
1: So, so like that, you know, the, you cherry pick these things from different people, from these different influences. Um, and. And you try to make it your own and you experiment with a lot of things. And in that, you know, you end up finding, you know, what really works for you and what doesn't work for you. You know, for a long time I tried to be Seth Godin, but I'm just not that quippy. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, I'm very long winded. You read any one of my blog posts, their minimum 2000 words, Seth yeah. Godin can write five and a half words and people are their minds are blown. I can't
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so I, you know, I had to figure out, you know, what really worked for me and what my audience, responded to. So my blog, another example my, not just my writing style, but my writing topics. Uh, and at the beginning I was writing about um, not just social media marketing, but I was also writing about creativity and design, but also I was writing about Christianity because I was a, a youth pastor at the time. Mm-hmm. It just made sense for me to talk about that kind of thing. Yeah. What I realized was I was really dividing my audience and testing my
2: audiences. Mm-hmm.
1: And when I wrote about the social media content, took off like fire. I wrote about, uh, you know, the Christianity content didn't really come out, might've gotten some debates, yeah. uh, some arguments going, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. which was not
1: really what I was interested in. Um, so, you know, people weren't hiring me to, to go consult them on their Christianity. They were hiring me to consult them on social media. So I figured out what worked for me, what tone of voice worked for me, what uh, subject matter worked for me. And you know, I sort of just dove into it sort of like the rock. He found that one catchphrase and he, he dove into it. And then he explored out and a little, little by little he found these other things and it built this attitude. You go back and look at some of his early um, things. He's just not quite as polished. He's not quite as electrifying, Um, but uh, but he worked on it over time and built it. And it, it became more of a, almost like a muscle, you know, like branding I think is very much like a muscle. The more you flex it, more you exercise it the stronger that brand becomes and the more you know things you find out work and don't work you know the stronger that uh, stronger more specific it becomes
0: what a perfect pun for wrestlers always out there flexing their muscles and their yeah. <laughs> their branding muscles too because he also had gosh he had the the people's eyebrow like the right eyebrow um, people's elbow too I think the People's
2: elbow, yeah.
0: all those all those moves and um, and it wasn't just him I know Ric Flair Going way back he had the figure four and I only know that because when I would play the video game I was like I don't know eight years old and I would just always just press the buttons just to get into the figure four yeah, that was all, get that I, all four. I knew
1: yeah because Bret Hart was also a figure four kind of guy and Shawn uh-huh. Michaels had the sweet chin music you know that was uh-huh. his uh, and he would go oh my gosh nothing would excite me more then you see Shawn Michaels he goes back into the corner and he goes <laughs> and then you instantly know, it's going to happen. And then, for The Rock, people, this is a podcast. People can't see what I'm actually doing. I just... Oh,
0: remember. I could I clip this. You can make a little promo. Dustin
1: just ran into the back of his corner and stomped yes. his foot. Yes. Um, but, you know, The Rock, too. He gets over in that corner. He gets in that, that uh, football pose. You're like, it's yeah. going to go down. You get so excited to see these things. You've seen a million times. And, you know, the last time I experienced this was probably not even a year ago
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. At, at some wrestling event. I happened to flip it on and the undertaker was, was back. And I can't believe this guy's still wrestling, <laughs> I
2: know, I know.
1: <laughs> but he's still doing, he goes through the same exact, it's like he has to hit every one of these bullet points. Every time he goes on, he's got to do the big walk on the top of the rope and come down with a big arm slam. And then he's got to do the big boot to the face and then the big leg drop. And then, He's got to do the choke slam and, and then finally has to put him away with the tombstone powder. It's electrifying. And yeah. I think we, as marketers, as, as branding people, as brands ourselves, like we need to find those special moves that, yeah. that we do that our audience can connect to and that electrifies our audience because it's so emotionally powerful. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Especially for me. And same is true with boy bands like you hear. The first- <laughs> You hear the first few bars of your favorite song, you're like, you are. (laughs) Yes. That's all it takes.
0: Speaks to my soul, yes. I am instantly electrified. And when you use that word, I mean, as far as wrestlers go, the first one that comes to my mind is Hulk Hogan.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: Hulkamania. And I think he was maybe one of the first to use color so strategically. Red, I know you love red. The
1: first one to use it so over the top like Mm -hmm. wrestlers before that they used color but it wasn't like it wasn't like flashy brand Mm -hmm. when hulk came out with that bright yellow
2: yeah and
1: you know we we could talk color psychology all day long the color yellow will will actually induce dopamine in your brain making you feel happy when you see it so like he used that color he also used red Um, Mm -hmm. great choice Yes. Uh, but yeah, he utilized it so well and it was such a flashy color that you, you couldn't not see it. Yeah. Um, and th- another a little fun story about Hulk Hogan. I actually got to meet the Hulkster. Oh. Um, and, and this, talk about a guy that knows his brand, right? So I was, uh, this was just a small meeting of people. Hulk was going to do his very first ever Google Hangouts on air. This was what, before live streaming really took
2: off. Yeah.
1: Google had this Google Hangouts on Air thing that was, you know, kind of cool and interesting. And I happened to be one of the people that was known for knowing how to use it. Because I was doing broadcasts all the time on it. Hulk needed to do a live broadcast. Didn't know how. Um, so we had to do like a small training with him. He hired uh, you know, a company that I was consulting with at the time. Long story short, where I'm in this Hangout like, Is, <laughs> yeah. is he going to be here? And, uh, you know, sure enough, he walks in and the guy that, like, his partner for this old hosting company that he was a partner on, he's just sitting there. And all of a sudden, all you see come into the frame, guy sitting here, is this big old arm come around and get, put him in a chokehold. And, you know, he gives him, like, a little wrestling thing. And he goes, what's up, brothers? And oh, my god! Totally in character. the whole t- There was five of us there. Yeah but he, he held his, his brand down. He kept it. He, you know, he did not disappoint in terms of brand. He just always had it turned on. Yeah.
0: Never misses an opportunity to branded for life. Yeah. Always electrifying even via Google Hangouts. (laughs) I guess you could say. So would you say that Hulk was one of kind of the pioneers to really use branding so strategically as far as wrestlers go? An uh,
1: I think he's the one that really brought it mainstream. I don't want to mm-hmm. uh, take away from any of the the great wrestlers of the past. I mean, you got Andre Giant, who was
2: iconic. Mm-hmm. There
1: was a lot of iconic wrestlers, but it wasn't until you know Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon dreamed up this storyline of a character named Hulk Hogan, and somehow hit the right notes. They mm-hmm. hit the right emotional tones, the the right story arcs, and it, I, in my opinion, Hulk Hogan. St- just made made wrestling pro wrestling put it on the map and made it larger than life
0: you again
1: quotes one of our favorite songs
0: <laughs> well what also what also was super interesting is these wrestlers who you would love like sometimes they would they would jump ship and, and go I, I don't know too much about it but i know there was like the wcw and the mm-hmm. nwo and all of a sudden someone you loved became a villain and i'd yeah. be watching my brother and he'd be like no we don't like him anymore like yeah association would always change too do you think what do you think is the strategy behind uh, i think it was the wwf at the time not anymore Mm -hmm. but by by them making these individual groups what do you think the the logic was there
1: um i can't say for certain i know a lot of it is you know story wrestling is all about story and, um, you know, there's some fighting in between, but really the fighting is driven by the storylines and the character arcs. And so I think when a character starts to get a little stale and maybe, uh, you know, the storyline isn't as fun anymore, you know, they have to do something different. They have to keep that storyline going. And I, I think the the writers behind, you know, professional wrestling have some of the hardest jobs because of all the continuity that needs to happen. Good night. like I if I sit and think about that, I, I start to sweat. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's more or less like they have to figure out how to keep these characters evolving while still also maintaining a bit of the, you know, the integrity of their brand that they've built, you know, the, uh, one of the most famous ones. Um, I wasn't a huge WCW fan, but you know, I did kind of keep tabs on it was sting. You know, this guy who kind of looked like, uh, kind of looked like, yeah, he kind of looked like the ultimate warrior at first. That was like multicolored paint, but all of a sudden he transitioned. Something happened in his character arc, and he he all of a sudden like looked like the crow, you know, like the <laughs> white and black only dark trench coat. Like his brand shifted entirely, and I think it was just more or less like sign of the times. Like people were more interested in in darker characters.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I think that's really what drives a lot of that, and and you know, thank goodness, because if it weren't for that uh, darker attitude age, we may not have Dwayne, the rock Johnson, like we have him today. He may not have come into his own. So I think it's really good, you know, for wrestlers. And again, going back to the, you know, trying different things you know, branching out just a little bit and seeing what fits a little bit better mm-hmm. um, is good for any brand.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up the storyline. Cause I, you know, from the outside looking in you forget that there's these people behind the scenes that are writing it as if it's a soap yeah. opera you know and these yeah, are the
2: characters really
0: you know so i kind of just thought you know oh let's hire this guy and here you go run out here do your entrance yeah. and then come back but and, there's
2: and there's like,
1: another parallel that i've i've often drawn from from the world of wrestling and how you, you mentioned like these different groups within wrestling so mm-hmm. You know, I feel like at times they'll take two superstars who are, who are maybe, you know, great on their own, but they combine them and all of a sudden they have this, this greater reach, this greater effect.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, as
1: a blogger, if I want to extend my audience or, or reach a new audience, one of the things I have to do is team up with another blogger, right? Mm-hmm. I have to go guest, po- guest post on their blog or I don't have my own podcast, but if I want to reach an audience of people who listen to podcasts, I just go on somebody else's podcast and it's that combined, you know, uh, that, that combined. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Electricity. Uh, mm-hmm. That, that combined talent or uh, passion. You know, connecting those two skill sets. I think something in that, you know, lends to a much bigger reach for both people. Because now, after I after I'm on this uh, this podcast, I'm going to go tell my audience. You know, I'm going to email my subscribers to to go listen to it that extends your reach it extends mine and you know everybody's all the better for it um so yeah i think the you know that aspect of when they bring these groups together sometimes it's to have that exponential growth effect but also you know there are times when maybe a character's not doing too well like rocky maivia wasn't doing too well he joined the nation of domination all of a sudden he had a much larger fan base because of his association with that group and He eventually went on his own and did much better
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i love that that you address that because i think i i think a lot of times people think that collaborating with like-minded people yeah it's great but sometimes some people feel threatened by it like Mm -hmm. i can't lift up this other person i just i want to be better than that person you know Mm -hmm. and i i was listening to reese witherspoon talk about this because there's you know there's a ton of actresses just like her they're all competing for roles and she always says success isn't limited. Like there is enough success right. for all of us to go around and we're all better for it when we join forces and, yes. and work Absolutely. together.
1: Absolutely, 100%. So. And that's something that we, you know, uh, a lot of people know me from back in you know, the 2011, 12, 13 era when Google Plus was still a thing. I became the Google Plus guy because I was like, oh, new shiny social network. I'm going to be all on it. Um, That's actually where I built most of my platform, despite the fact that everybody said it was an utter failure. Um, I built many companies and had lots of clients because of that one platform. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we we all, you know, all of us influencers who were on that platform in the beginning, we had this mentality of we could only lift each other up. We're not competitors. Um, Even though some of us ran agencies, some of us did consulting, there was potential for conflict there. We always lifted each other up.
2: Mm-hmm. And it didn't
1: hurt us. It only helped us. So I think to uh, to limit your idea of, you know, there's only so much, there's only so many clients to go around, or there's only so many podcast listeners to go around. Um, not true. Like you literally could not handle all of the potential that, that is out there. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, always just freely share and share alike and lift each other up. There's no room for, for trying to bring each other down.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's super timely right now because today I saw ESPN tweeted that today is 10 years since LeBron's decision to come to Miami and take his talents to South Beach. And it's kind Man, of the, it's the, been that long. Jeez. 10 years. I know. I know. I mean, I'm from South Florida. So I remember that day quite well. It was <laughs> like Christmas morning.
1: I am from Western Pennsylvania, but I'm basically a Clevelander because my stepdad and his whole side of family lived in Cleveland, and we rooted for the tribe, and we rooted for the Cavs and the Browns. And sorry. That was our lot in life. But uh,
0: <laughs> but you got your ship. He you did come back.
1: <laughs> yes, he, he came back. The uh, truth be told, though, I was always a Bulls fan. So I like, ah,
0: got gotcha. you. I was the
1: black sheep in the family.
0: Yeah, yeah. Was it because they're red? <laughs> yeah.
1: No, it's actually, well, that's one reason probably, but okay. also because I was a big Michael Jordan fan. I was actually born on his birthday, February oh. 17th.
2: So uh-huh.
0: Fun I always
1: felt like ah, I gotta like Michael. He's he's the best and we have the same birthday.
2: So yeah,
0: exactly. You're, you're connected at the heart. <laughs> yes. But it's it's kind of the similar idea. LeBron could have easily said, I don't want to compete on Dwayne Wade's team. And, and you know, right. I want to be the star of the show. And Dwayne Wade, you know, it says a lot about him because he kind of gave up some of his spotlight. I think he even took mm-hmm. a pay cut, um, if you really read into it, and to get yeah. to him and Bosh. So, and they yeah, were all – had a like,
1: bigger that, game in mind. It was bigger mm-hmm. than themselves, and they knew that, uh, you know, together – there's enough spotlight to go around, and it in the, in the long run, I don't think it hurt Dwayne Wade at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it only helped. It only helped. Yeah. So let's talk about how this all translates to corporate culture, because if you think about it, these wrestlers are employees of this larger organization, and they each build their individual brands, and it ends up benefiting this bigger organization. So. Yep is there any advice you would give to both corporations and employees as far as becoming stronger together by having your employees, you know, freely build their personal brands and how that can all work together?
1: Yeah. I mean, each, each organization is different. Uh, I've consulted companies from resorts to mom and pop restaurants, to big banks, to the largest distributors of, uh, of, uh, Heavy machinery. We'll just say that much in the world. Um, all kinds. I literally. I don't think there's an industry that I haven't touched on. Not true. Have not touched on the adult industry. Refuse to. Um, maybe a few others as well that are kind of morally questionable.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, in every instance, like you know, there's su- subtle nuances. You know, f- for example, like uh, you know, a, a restaurant with a heavy churn you know restaurants tend to have heavy turnover when it comes to servers and staff like you know i wouldn't consult a a, a restaurant a local restaurant and say you should encourage your servers to have their own personal brand
2: because mm-hmm.
1: uh, it just wouldn't make sense you know they're there for six months and then you know, <laughs> but there i think there are plenty of business models plenty of industries and, and enterprises in particular that would greatly benefit from having employee advocacy as a as an emphasis Mm-hmm. Um, you know the 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 culture that you cultivate with your employees is in you know, our today's world can be extremely attractive and, and a different differentiator for you know bringing consumers to your products and services. So you know a, a company that's known for having the most happy employees in the world is going to be more attractive to a, than you know a company that say is known for abusing their employees, Amazon. Mm Um, so yeah, I think, uh, it totally, again, depends on the industry, but you know, I think any, any industry that is, you know, doesn't have a high turnover rate, um, that, that does value their employees and does understand that your employees can be your greatest marketing and advertising tools should 100% have employee advocacy programs and, and do training about how to, how to build a brand, how to build their own platform, um, and not be afraid of, you know, them maybe going off on their own someday if they do great. Um, but you know, in the meantime, have them build their brand online, have them build a, a social account that's, you know, social, um, name. Uh, I had a, I had a word for it. It was like, uh, I lost it, lost the train <laughs> of thought, but, you know, have them build their, um, Buffer Dustin account you know like even Mm. if it's a separate uh account you know if your Mm -hmm. business is Buffer huge fan of Buffer or Gore Pulse yeah have something like AP Dustin and you know use that as your your social handle to build that to show that uh, it's a great company there's no there's nothing to lose there
0: right yeah and I think that's refreshing to hear because a lot of corpor- corporations think that if their employees put themselves out there like this that they're gonna get poached and someone's gonna try to right. recruit them and then they're gonna, you know, have to fill a new role. But I just I think you have to build your people and invest in your people and always want what's best for them. Otherwise, you know, you're gonna have a bad workplace culture. Right.
1: So and you have to trust too, if if an employee is willing to go out on a limb and be that branded employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, building a brand for themselves associated with this company, they're not just going to jump ship easily, mm-hmm. right? Like, cause their reputation's on the line too. They're not going to just be this flip flopper brand builder, you know, cause their audience wouldn't trust them.
2: You know? mm-hmm. So if they're,
1: if they're building their brand smartly, they're going to stick with the brand that they're representing as, as mm-hmm. much as they can. Um, so just keep them happy, make, yeah. make them happy, value them. And, uh, and they'll, they'll in turn spread that value and share that value out to, uh, to give you a greater reach with, their yeah.
0: make them proud to to work with you and to be with you, and not yeah. have these wandering eyes to go somewhere else where they'll they'll feel valued. You know, yeah,
1: absolutely. It's it's almost similar to you know an affiliate.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: it's almost like they're an affiliate of your brand. So uh, one of my companies is a uh, WordPress plugin called Social Warfare. Um, we created the product because we hated all the social sharing plugins out there. We wanted people to share our content in a really optimized way, so We created the product, but the I would say beyond anything else, one of the things that we did right from the beginning was we, we created an affiliate program, people who were incentivized to, to share our product with other people. And if you, you know, value those people, you give them the tools they need to, to spread the word, spread the good word about your product, you know, that's only going to help you in the long run. So treating a, an employee advocate like, a, like an affiliate, just understand that they're going to do the marketing for you. Mm-hmm. In a way that you cannot do yourself, like yeah. I, I can't write a review for Social Warfare because people go, "Well, he owns it," mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know. But somebody who works for you saying, "Like this is such a great company to work for," you can't tell people with that same authority that you're a great place to work, right? Saying that has so much more weight.
0: Yeah, it's that social proof. It's like the holy grail. If you could have your employees and your customers do your marketing for you, you're in great Yeah. <laughs> And I always joke, as marketers, it's, it makes our job easier because we have all these people advocating. You don't even have to think of a creative idea right. someday because you just have these amazing testimonials that you can amplify.
1: Content's created
2: for you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. So let's, let's I think, end this on The Rock because if you were to read up on it, I think Forbes named him the highest paid actor in the world two years in a row. So wow,
2: I did not know
0: that. Yeah, he's the highest paid actor right now. And just to think that he, can't, he started off as a wrestler. I think he even, didn't he play? I think he played football at the University of Miami.
1: He did, uh, I believe so, day. Day. He, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was a Brahma Bull. They, yeah. That's why they called him the Brahma Bull. That was uh, one of his nicknames.
0: So humble beginnings. So how would you really wrap up everything we can learn and take away from The Rock and how his early decisions and branding himself Cemented his success and turned him into this, you know, hugely successful actor.
1: I Would say first and foremost be consistent in who you are, you know at your core What you believe in what you fight for what you're willing to be passionate about be consistent on that and be vocal about it
2: mm-hmm. um, But
1: also don't be afraid to try new things or to branch out a little bit and maybe risk Uh, Being a little bit too um, one direction or another because when rock really locked in and he said I'm gonna try this thing and go with this story arc. He realized it hit and Mm -hmm. When you find that thing that hits when you find that thing your audience connects to Feed into that thing and give more of it and find different ways to to give more of it I think that's one of the greatest lessons of Dwayne's career is uh, is just because you start and it's not taken off doesn't mean you can't try new things, but be consistent and find what works and go with it and mm-hmm. uh, pay attention to your audience because, I mean, there, there's something to be said about how well a wrestler and, and somebody who is, in my opinion, unmatched with his microphone skills, um, Dwayne Johnson, he can get that microphone and he, he can he's the star. But it's not just that he's good at talking. He's really good at listening. Anybody who's done... Performance in any way stand-up comedians, especially they know that it's just as important to be listening To the audience while you're talking as it is to what you're actually saying um, you have to pay attention to your audience and see how they're responding and and Just follow that follow where they're responding. It'll take you to great places
0: yeah, well said and I think there's a big lesson there because he didn't just pigeonhole himself as a wrestler he was always dreaming oh, yeah. bigger, you know he's he went into acting which was probably a little weird for him at first or weird for the public to say like what's this wrestling guy doing in a movie but yeah. look at him now and um you know he has a tequila brand now and i think of oh, yeah. how j-lo is is similar i mean she started yeah. off as an actress or well a dancer really but yeah,
1: she's a dancer background dancer
0: Yeah, she dreamt for more and now she's doing the Super Bowl and she's on top of the world. So I think there's a lesson that you can always dream bigger. And yeah, you want to have a niche, but think about how you can, how you can take it to the next level and be present in more places and really do what you want to do. So awesome. I appreciate that so much. Where can people follow you? What can you plug? Tell us where can we read your blog? All Just of that fun stuff. Head
1: over to Simplest Thing. I'm all over the place. Um, <laughs> but if you go to dustinstyle.com, you'll find all the things there.
0: Awesome, and I'll have it all linked in the description and everything. Again, thank you so much. I really thank appreciate you coming on and geeking out over marketing and Wrestlemania, this was a ton of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Dustin. Great
1: time, so happy to be here.
0: If you're a fan of this podcast, be sure to subscribe, or better yet, leave a review. You can also join my Twitter chat at hashtag pop chat for weekly pop culture discussions you can actually learn from. If you have an idea for an episode, shoot me a DM at Brianne2k. As always, thanks for listening.